This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. Welcome to a bye week edition, a Vikings bye week edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. I'm Marshall Kellner. We have Matt Gallivan here and we have a guest back for the second time. That's always a good sign. Uh, Joe Spinoza is back here, the number one Kirk Cousins fan. As you all know, he's gotten uh, gotten big on Twitter at Real Joe Spinoza, and uh, he has it in his bio. Kirk Cousins, number one fan. You guys can't see it right now, but he's wearing a, a nice new white Kirk Cousins uh, Kirk Cousins jersey. Uh, Joe, welcome back to the show. Yeah, I waited for this. Fanatics was out of stock. Couldn't even get the custom ones, but they got a new shipment in, so I, I hopped <laughs> on it. And uh, they already sold out of the XL. Thankfully, I, I like to wear a large uh, jersey, so. Uh, but they're gonna they're hot selling items. Kirk is a popular player despite uh, what you might see out there. He is and uh, his team's five and one right now near the top of the NFC, certainly the top of the NFC North above the three and three Packers who are uh, really reeling right now. <laughs> a lot going on in Green Bay and not much of a good. Uh, we can get into that uh, Joe as the, as the show progresses here, but just just wanted to get your your overall thoughts. I mean, I think it's it's great to talk to somebody like you because most people we talk to do come in. They might cover the Vikings, but they, they grew up in Minnesota. They have, you know, a natural bias towards the Vikings, whereas you come in as a Kirk fan more than a Vikings fan. You're a Vikings fan because of Kirk. Um, so you can kind of have a little bit more objective view of the entire team. So this five and one operation right now, what are your overall thoughts as we head into this bye week? I'm excited. And um, for those who don't know, I, I am a New Englander. I grew up yeah, right outside of Boston. So Patriots fan grew up watching them. That kind of formed my love of football. And I'll just say this. It's better to have bad competition and be a good team than to be a very good or great team in a stacked conference. And I think when you look around the NFC, there is no one that truly scares me. And I, I was calling Philly. I had Philly at like 12, 13 wins before the year. They match up really well against a lot of teams. But other than them, and I still think there's holes, the Vikings are definitely in that conversation to represent the NFC. Now, do I think it's going to happen? The probabilities would say no. But is there like a 10, 15% chance, which is right up there with any other team? I would say absolutely. Yeah, and that's and that's what you need. Uh, and and I think too, like you, you kind of alluded to it, they're in a pretty weak division right now. Bears and Lions, virtually no chance to win the division. You look at the odds right now; the Vikings are like over, greater than minus two hundred to win the division. Um, so the the betting odds certainly are with the Vikings right now. They have a two game edge plus the head to head win over Green Bay. Um, so they're they're in a great spot, and and I think with the with the new coaching staff, I mean each win kind of breeds more confidence. And whether or not I remember uh, I was listening to uh, to Chad Greenway on uh, with uh, Paul Allen and Paul Charchian on a Friday show that they do on, on KFAN on the the home of the Vikings. And Chad Greenway made a great point: like in the locker room, it does not matter whether it's a one point win, a thirty point win. 15 point win like you go into that locker room and you win it breeds confidence and especially when you have a new coaching staff this winning culture starts developing and guys are looser coming in 
versus, you know, if you lose a game two, three in a row, guys are coming in tight. Guys are worried about their jobs. Whereas here, you see your boy Kirk on planes on the way back, you know, picking up new chains each and every week. Looked like he had on about 10 last week after uh, wearing Derrissaws on the way back from London. They're having a lot of fun right now, and they're winning while not playing their best football. What if it does click down the road with this team? It could be a really dangerous scenario for the rest of the NFC. Yeah, I I totally agree if you just look at what they're capable of doing. And the fact that I think Pelissero put out a tweet that scoring margin is the lowest it's ever been. Um, like so many one score games and coming out on top is so important. And again, if you win the division, which looks good now, I'm not ready to write that off because I'm not doubting Aaron Rodgers. Uh, unlike other Vi- uh, like Vikings fans, you know, born and bred, they hate Aaron Rodgers. I think he is the best quarterback to ever play. So I'm never going to hate him. him. They hate him, but I at least Matt and I can appreciate how good yeah. he is. And, uh, and I think yeah, their defense I, I has a lot of talent, so yeah. I'm not writing them off. But you, you're in a great position. You win the division. You get two home playoff games, let's say. You win those. You, you should. Or you definitely have a good chance. That's a championship game right there. Boom. Yeah, and you get a little lucky, too. Because, like you said, it's maybe 10%, 15%. Even if they were the elite team of the NFC by leaps and bounds, they're not going to have close to 50% chance to make the Super Bowl. That's just not how the odds work but like i'll give you a perfect example in 2017 when the vikings went to the nfc championship game with a backup quarterback in case keenum that was like the height of the zimmer defense they were number one across the board in every category you know he had built up this elite defense and they were the number two seed and philly was playing atlanta and atlanta was a very wounded um defending nfc champion they had lost to your to your patriots in that crazy comeback the year before and they were the last team into the playoffs and they had philly on the ropes in philly atlanta wins that game the vikings are the ones hosting atlanta and likely going to the super bowl in their home stadium and they're the one playing the patriots in minneapolis who knows what happens i don't like keenum's chances against tom brady but Foles beat brady you never know so you know, things like that, it has to just roll your way. And it did for Philly that year. But had Atlanta beaten Philly, it could have been a totally different story. So you need some luck like that to happen as well, I think. Um, and we'll see what happens. Um, let's get in, though. You, 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 you gave your overall thoughts. Offense, defense, if you had to pick, like, one positive, you have, you have a lot of uh, thoughts coming into the year. You look at analytics a lot. But if there's one player offensively or defensively who surprised you, who would it be on each side of the ball? That's a good question because you always have to go relative to expectations. So Jefferson's not surprising me. Um, I guess I would go with Garrett Bradbury, actually, now that I think about it on offense. Garrett Bradbury's been, I think, in – Average to maybe even slightly above average center. He had that terrible play where he just said Olay to a nose tackle that was right up on him. But other than that, he's held his own. He has been, he's always been solid in the run game. He's athletic. He can get out on the move and, you know, make some blocks out there. But he would always get blown up in pass protection. And he's been decent this year. So definitely Garrett Bradbury, the most surprising on offense. And on defense, that that's, uh, so another tough one. I guess I would 
have to go with Zadarius Smith because he's a Pro Bowl. I think he's made an All-Pro, but he's coming off massive injury, and he looks not only really good, but people thought he was going to be the 1B to Daniil Hunter's 1A. It's actually been the inverse. He's been the 1A stud, and Daniil's kind of been that good, but kind of the Robin on the D-line so far. Darius was unbelievable against Miami. I mean, all all game. Matt, go ahead. So, with you being Kirk Cousins' number one fan, we have to get into Kirk. What have you liked about his game this year, and what are you seeing that you'd like to uh, see him get better at the rest of this year? You know, and this is a perfect opportunity for, you know, for all the people that wanted to say, well, wins that uh, wins are what matter, you know, with the QB to really show that no, 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 it's it's looking at how they play, and you've always been very good about actually looking at those details and what the rest of the team is doing and and dissecting that. So, what what do you make of Kirk so far? Um, people like to point out the detractors will say, oh, his numbers aren't as good as they were in the past, and there's some merit to that. But if you look at Kirk's early season performances, 2021 was kind of an anomaly. 2020, he was horrendous. And this year, it was just kind of the Philly game. That was the blow-up, bad game. But his performance at Indy was way worse. He had like a 15-passer rating. And he also had that three-pick performance against Atlanta. In the first, I think that was week six. And then the other games weren't so great. Um, and then you go back to 2019, not a lot of turnovers, but like he had 10 pass attempts that week one. So all throughout his career, even going back to Washington, he was not super prolific out of the gate. It was really that kind of midway stretch through the year. Um, so I think, and then also considering the fact that numbers for quarterbacks are down across the league, it's Mahomes and Allen putting up big numbers. And then you'll see guys, I guess, in that next tier, like even Herbert, uh, Burrow struggle. They'll have a good game, but then struggle. Russell Wilson's been terrible. Matt Stafford's been terrible. Um, Lamar Jackson's been hit or miss. So I think statistically, um, even though he's not living up to that, I think he had like 12 picks and three interceptions at this point last year. Now he's like nine and five. Um, he's not quite at that, you know, super high level, but he's still a top 10 quarterback relative to competition. I guess the positives is his clutchness. Uh, he's still making the throws when you need him and first downs and second downs. Um, I know uh, Sunday was bad time to bring this up because it was a three and out fest, but otherwise the Vikings were really good at moving the chains compared to last year. And then for negatives, I guess I would say I'm going to go against what everyone told him to do. Um, and it's clear on like, I guess the honey badger pick in London and the pick against Chicago, you know, just take the yards on um, like just play, play it safe. I think that, and not just completely, uh, you know, fold in, but if you have a guaranteed first down and guaranteed 10 yards, um, the 10 extra yards going on a deeper route with an increased uh, chance of uh, a turnover is just not worth it. There's a time and a place, but when you're up by a score or two, um, just kind of take what the defense gives. I, I think I think to that point, Kirk, first of all, Kirk's post-game press conferences this year have been I think even more illuminating than normal. I, I think he's he's feeling a little freer to to be an open book than I mean he he has in the past. But um, the one after the London game was very interesting. When and it, he he said himself he left some plays on the table, but then like you said he forced that one against the Bears and he made a point after that game where he admitted he let some previous plays affect that play. 
which was really interesting because, you know, it, you had a similar look against the Saints where he could have driven it in there deep, didn't, and then he tried to against the Bears, and it was a good good play um, by the by the DB. But, you know, clearly, like you said, C.J. Ham was wide open in the flat for an easy first down, and, and Kirk said he really needs to just treat each play individually and not let something that he may have seen on a previous play affect the next play because the coverage may be different, the situation may be different. And uh, I think it's just also a learning process in this offense um, because it is, it is brand new. And what, how many years in a row has he had a, a brand new play caller? So I think things are starting to come together. Like you saw that, that play to JJ um, on the, on the audible, the quick audible at the line. And JJ gets wide open down the right sideline against against Miami. Like you're seeing things like that. The red zone play calling from Kevin O'Connell, like deep red zone, the play to Irv Smith Jr., the play in the end zone to Thielen. Like you're seeing these glimpses. And if it can all come together, the offense could be pretty special. And even the running game as well is still very much a work in progress. I know you have thoughts on uh, on Dalvin Cook. Yeah, um, I've learned in my time. Uh, it's, only, it's only about like six, seven months I've been on Vikings Twitter. Uh, the only uh, players you can criticize are Kirk Cousins, Garrett Bradbury, Greg Joseph, and whoever the uh, corner of the day that's getting a lot of heat. So sometimes I think before it was like Mackenzie Alexander, uh, Rashad Breland, Mike Hughes. Now I think it's Shannon Sullivan because you can't do a Caleb Evans because he's obviously a superstar on social media. Pat Pete is, you know, has a podcast. He's a Hall of Famer. So they're not going to go too hard on him. Uh, and Dancer's been good, so it's like uh, Shannon Sullivan. So it's the corner, and then those three guys are the only ones you could criticize. So I'm not. We can bring up Dalvin if if you want, but I'm I'm not going to touch that one right now. <laughs> well, he had the nice run. It, it, he had a great we, run. We we were talking privately about Dalvin, and uh, and then he he clearly he clearly saw something because uh, he that that cut was nasty. I mean that was vintage Dalvin. There, he even got a he's loose from Paul Allen. There haven't been a lot of he's looses this year because their longest run before that game was Jalen Rager, 16 yards or something on, on the end around first down against Philadelphia. So, so maybe let's not get into Dalvin specifically, but the run game in general, how is that, how is that meshing into this offense? Because we saw the Rams when they were at their best. They were running. They were able to run the ball, especially down the stretch. Uh, we saw Kirk pick up a big first down with his legs against Chicago on that on that seventeen play drive. But how how much further can this run game come in this offense? Um, I, I always come from the idea that if you have an, a quarterback and you know weapons, especially a weapon like Justin Jefferson, a quarterback like Kirk, run game is always complementary. And um, I think it's important that you keep the defense on their toes, but I'm not, I'm not of the mind that the runs, it's up the pass, the runs, it's up the play action. Um, I just think you need to avoid the, uh, the non-successful plays. So get three, four yards on your carries. Don't get those stuffed runs because the Vikings led the league in stuffed runs in 2021, which is why they were overall, you know, punting a lot, had a lot of three and outs. We saw some of that this past game um, of just getting, of having runs of one or two yards, not good enough. And then you're kind of just playing behind the chains. So um, I think using the run game as just getting the yards that are necessary, keeping the defense on their toes to a degree, um, 
But I, I don't think this is a team that's going to be relying on the run. But I would like to see Dalvin especially um, get involved more in the passing game because people were talking about yeah. that coming into the year. And I don't know. I just don't see him as a great receiving back. Like Madison caught that touchdown against uh, New Orleans. Like he's been – he caught that play against Chicago that like on a key first down. Um, can't, don't really have many memorable Dalvin plays in the receiving game. Yeah, I, I think the – yeah, the for whatever reason he's not been uh, an integral part of that, but I agree that there's he he's just such a game changer that you you got to find different ways to get him involved, you know, especially when the run game is stalling. And you know, speaking of stalling, one thing that people have really focused in on as a as a deficiency for this team is their performance in the third quarter. What? What, if anything, are you seeing about when this team comes out of the half that is not clicking or not working? Or is it, you know, is it a coincidence uh, where it's just, you know, there's going to be a quarter throughout a you know a game that things don't really go very well? Um, what have you observed when you go back and look at the tape? Um, I think it's a confluence of a lot of things. I'm pretty sure they um, started with the ball in the first quarter and then the opponent has gotten the ball to start the second half. Uh, especially like you look at the Chicago game, they really, I think they only had like one full possession in the third and like two possessions at all in the um, third quarter. Uh, there, there's going to be stall drives. It kind of is just the way it is. And um, like Miami's a tough place to play. If you just look around the league, scoring is down. I, I guess there's something maybe there. Um, I think the play calling because you're usually going into halftime with a lead um, or at least you're not behind uh, so I think you're probably getting a little bit bland going to just a you know kind of baseline sort of script and then the defense that they've come up with clutch plays but oftentimes they'll allow longer drives and you know you allow a six minute possession if you punt the ball and then you allow another five minute one quarter's pretty much over uh, so I think kind of keeping your foot on the gas, staying aggressive, and then getting off the field uh, quickly on the defensive end um, will help things out. But yeah, this past game was definitely ugly other than their scoring drives because I think they only got like what one first down on their non-scoring drives, something like that, something crazy, 10 three and outs. Yeah, that was uh, the definitely uh, an uninspiring performance. Uh... Uh, on the offensive, but, but they did get to, they did we did get to see Ryan Wright just absolutely boom the ball, especially on that first punt. That was a very good find by this front office. But cutting Jordan Berry and they place a, an emphasis on special teams, and it's helped them. I know analytically, this the Arif Hassan. I heard him talking about this recently, uh, and, and he he was saying like. Special teams doesn't create a ton of value or as much as people think, but there's no question in that game, what Ryan Wright did may have saved them the game. I mean, he was, he was fantastic. Go ahead. You had another one, Matt. Yeah. So, I mean, Joe, you've taken a look at the the whole team here and, you know, we got the trade deadline coming up, you know, you had some of Vikings Twitter freaking out yesterday saying, Oh, there's an open spot. They're going to trade for OBJ. And they've since, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, filled that, uh, you know, open roster spot. But where do you think this team 
could go in the trade deadline if they're going to do something what would you like to see them do uh to address a deficiency yeah but this is what i love to do like that's kind of my favorite thing is looking at you know salary cap and players i kind of and i'm not saying this i do this in all scenarios but for the vikings specifically i would treat this like the draft and go best player available because i think that you're top heavy and you're talented enough at your starters that barring injury, you're not going to get a guy who's going to come in and supplant any of those guys, considering you probably don't want to trade a first or a second. You don't have a ton of money to deal with. Um, you just want to add depth. So guys that I like um, are Matt Ioannidis. Uh, if you look at Carolina, they look, they might be looking to uh, sell off. He played with Kirk back in Washington. He is a solid uh, defensive end. He's playing in that 3-4 scheme that they have there now. He can stop the run, he can pass rush, and he's only a million bucks. He was a rental for Carolina on like a minimum deal. You can get him for like a fifth or a sixth round pick. And uh, I don't think Jonathan Bullard and Ross Blacklock are really uh, anything special. So he can kind of fill in and be, I think, even better than what Armand Watts was um, over the past few years and just a solid guy who can play a lot of snaps there. Um, I really like Will Disley if you want to bring in a tight end. In, um, Seattle, because they have uh, Noah Fan's fifth-year option. But number one guy, if you want to go a little bit more, I know people talk about OBJ, is Kendrick Bourne from the Patriots. I absolutely love him. And I don't know why he's in Bill Belichick's doghouse. But every year, someone gets in there. Uh, used to be Jamie Collins and have a bunch of these guys. So um, I think if he's on the move, knowing Belichick, Belichick can just be like spiteful, or just like whatever and say, I want to get rid of him and they'll take a sixth rounder. Um, so that's uh, a guy that I'd look at. He has, and he has a very reasonable cap of like $5 million next year. So you can keep him in the fold and, um, you know, rework Thielen's contract. I think it's time for him to take a back seat, you know, still make good money, do right by him, but he's not $20 million player. You know, I think he recognizes that he wants to stay here and kind of build that receiving core around JJ with like a bunch of co two and threes with Bourne, Thielen, and KJ. Why j just to just to make sure we cover the OBJ situation totally because OBJ is a free agent, um, so you're not trading away draft capital. Now you'd have to create cap space, which has been a problem for the Vikings um, for for a while now. But why not OBJ when you're five and one? And you saw what he did with the with the Rams last year. He was maybe going to be Super Bowl MVP before he tore up his knee. And I think that Super Bowl may have been a blowout if he had stayed on the field. Cincinnati could not cover him and Cooper Cup at the same time. Why not try to put him and JJ on the field together? Is it just cap space? Or do you guys think Matt kind of scoffed at it, it seemed like. Uh, <laughs> do you guys think? I scoffed. I, to clarify. I scoffed at the everyone like freaking out and saying there's that, an that, open that, spot that on the roster. Yeah, it was sure. more about the overreaction okay. to the signing OBJ. Yes, you know, makes sense from a Kevin O'Connell connection. It does not make sense in my mind with a with a quasi model of what you go and do, you know, personally. Yeah, but it makes sense in terms of adding another weapon when Thielen, like Joe said, has taken a little step back and KJ is a solid receiver, but he's not a game changer. He's big on third down. He's made some huge catches in the fourth quarter when they've needed to. 
And by the way, this team was losing those same games last year that they're winning now, and now making key plays in the fourth quarter, big difference between last year and this year. But anyway, why not OBJ? Long story longer. Um, well, from what I've heard, that if OBJ was willing to take, and I'm not saying a minimum deal, this one I heard from Rappaport the other day. If he was willing to just take like a one-year deal in the high single-digit millions, you know, seven, eight, nine million, he would be back with the Rams. He wanted to stay with the Rams. Mm. He chose the Rams last year. The Rams doctor performed his surgery. He rehabbed with a lot of those guys. He likes LA. He's comfortable there. He wanted a Michael Gallup type deal. And uh, maybe he wouldn't get as many years because Gallup got five for about 60 million with like 30 of it guaranteed. Maybe he wanted three or four, but he wanted above 10 million AAV. So you're going to, it's a real contract that is going to have upwards of $20 million guaranteed. And, uh, also, he has to choose you because unless you're going to offer a huge contract, like he's going to have his pick. If he's only getting one year, $7 million from a bunch of teams, Minnesota looks good, but is he going to choose that over Kansas City to be Patrick Mahomes' number one receiver? Is he going to choose that over going back with the Rams? I know they're not might not be as good, but he likes LA. He's comfortable there. Uh, he's going to choose that over Green Bay. I mean, may, maybe, but Aaron Rodgers' number one target, like you look – and Dallas is another one too, with Dak coming back, they have a need. Um, so I, I just think that you're gonna you'd have to do a lot to make it work. Um, and there are other options. Uh, DJ Chark also, but like Quasi's done a lot of deals with uh, division rivals. Did a deal with a big deal at the draft with Detroit. He was on a one-year deal. He's been out. They've been holding him out. He doesn't really fit with that offense. Bring him in as a deep threat. Um, stretch the field out a bit more. I think that's a really good compliment because other than JJ, they're all sort of possession receivers. And even JJ's game, it's he can go deep, but he's not best at it. Like his number one strength is short intermediate. Getting a 6-4 deep threat that can kind of stretch the field while also being a big target in the red zone uh, could help. I, I just think that there are other options. And plus, OPJ is also coming off a torn ACL. I mean, that's a big thing. He's 30. I don't know if he's going to be – he might be in a year, but – Right now, I don't think he's going to be the guy we saw in the Super Bowl. So uh, given where this team is at, let's say they don't do anything. Let's say they stay relatively healthy. What, you know, what do you think, what is your prediction for the rest of the season in terms of where they end up going? Uh, and where, what is your prediction for the rest of the season where you see Kirk ending up uh, at the end? So... I would say the uh, kind of continue your path. I think 12 and five is a reasonable record. You have some tough games against obviously going into Buffalo um, and Jets and Giants now look tough. Um, I don't think you're going to continue this like linear progression of going 14 and three, 15 and two. Um, it's a grind of a season. So I think 12 and five, that should be good enough to win the division. And then um, I think the divisional round and we'll see how it goes depending on if Tampa goes on a run, I think they're the only team that would really scare me. Um, if you have to go to Tampa and play, if they uh, finish, you know, 13 and four, or they have a conference record because their division is so bad that they, you know, have a tiebreaker, then you might lose to Tampa. But if not, you know, conference championship. And then um, not going to go quite to Super Bowl, but 12 and five NFC title game. I think that Kirk's numbers are, are going to rebound. I think he's going to still finish, you know, not – the 40 touchdowns that I was hoping for, but 30, 33 touchdowns, maybe 10, 11 picks, kind of similar to last year, 
pretty much, um, maybe with lower yards per attempt and more turnovers. But again, 12 and five winning the division. And the fact that no one other than Allen Mahomes are putting up prolific numbers, going to be top five MVP voting. Yeah, and if they do go to uh, to Philadelphia for the NFC title game, I cannot bear another loss for them. So <laughs> let, let, that that would be pretty – I mean, the, whenever the Vikings do go to the Super Bowl and eventually win it, um, first of all, Joe, you're going to want to be in Minnesota when that happens because it will, it will be a, a monumental moment, a monumental week, month, year, whatever. But – I mean, I feel like it won't be easy. It's not going to be some, like, they're going to be 15-1 and one and the one seed and get a bye and have a couple easy games on the way to the Super Bowl. They're going to have to go to, like, Philly or Tampa or somewhere like that and have to do it that way. Um, even though, you know, I was bemoaning earlier how they, they couldn't hook Atlanta in 2017 instead of Philly. They're going to have to go to Philly, uh, you know, it looks like this year. But, but it's still early. Arizona last year started seven and zero, and then totally fell apart, like bottomed out and, and got killed in the first round of the postseason. So it, it is, it is really early, I think, but you know, it's interesting Kirk's yards per attempt. And this is the last point, And then, uh, and then we have to go, but Kirk's yards per attempt, lowest of his career. Um, yet they're five and one. And this is what the Kirk haters can't stand. This is what I can't stand about the Kirk haters. He'll put up clearly top 10, arguably top five in some categories numbers, but they won't win enough games because they had bottom ranked defenses each of the last two years. You've pointed this out extensively. Then, you know, he makes every play in the fourth quarter, goes on 17 play drives to win games um, after the defense lets other teams back into the game. They're five and one. And they're like, well, look, the yards per attempt are the lowest of his career. His completion percentage is down. You know, they're they're winning in spite of it. Like, it, that you can never win with these people. If he wins one Super Bowl, they'll say he should have won two or three. Go, oh, you know, uh, other quarter. Brady has more than that. You know, it, it's just you're never going to win with these people. Last last point, Joe. No, that's that's always true. I'm just hoping, you know, these these two games. You go off 600 total yards, not in one game, but 600 total yards, six touchdowns between Arizona and Washington. So three and three, two and four. But, you know, if three touchdowns a game, 300 yards a game against these relatively bad teams, bring the, you know, overall stats up, be seven and one. And then what are they going to say? Seven and one, by the way, same record as the 98 Vikings and the 09 Vikings, um, both of whom went to the NFC title game and lost. Are these two teams that good? You know, Favre and Randy Moss's rookie year? Maybe not, but 7-1 and one is 7-1, and one and they have a good chance at that. That's all the time we have today. Uh, Joe, thanks again for coming on, and hopefully see you in Minnesota soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. All right, that's Joe Spinoza. You can follow him on Twitter, at Real Joe Spinoza. For Matt, I'm Marshall. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.